Amen. It is Easter. And I love the Easter season. Easter is such an exciting time of the year because it's the beginning of a new life. It's, uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that Easter for us is in the springtime. And that for us, it's, it's when new life is abounding outside. It's a time of year that, that nature all around us comes back to life. The flowers are beginning to bloom. The grass is getting green. The trees are budding. The birds are singing. Um, you know, what I, I love spring mornings. You go outside and you hear the birds back. Isn't that nice to hear the birds chirping in the morning? It just, it just, it just exudes life. And new, and, and, and new things are happening, and it's so awesome. And, and then the baby animals are being born, you know, the deer and the fawns, and all the, all the life around us is beginning all over again. What a blessed time of year it is. I love springtime. I love springtime, and it's such a special time of the year for us to celebrate the new life that we're given as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus' life as well, and how it all blends together at the same time of year. It's such a great thing. But, you know... About 2,000 years ago or so, when this event happened, it, it didn't seem like that for those that were going through this, for them. For, for them, for those people that were walking the road with Jesus, it was really a disaster in the making. They didn't understand what was going on. Here, Jesus, the King of the Jews, that was just a few days ago brought, in a, brought into town in a procession, basically fit for a king, and people were hailing him by saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. They were hailing him king of the Jews, and they were bringing him in. And, and now, just a few days later, some of the same people were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. What went wrong for Jesus? What happened in just a matter of days for him? What changed in those days? What caused the change in the hearts of men that would start out by blessing him and calling him king that would just in a few days end up cursing him and calling for his crucifixion? Pretty amazing, isn't it? What a change of heart for some people. And as is common to people then as it is today, we often misunderstand God's purpose in many areas of life. We talked about this morning, do we understand everything? No, we don't have everything understood. But many times we misunderstand God's purposes. And it becomes pretty obvious that that's one of the biggest problems that caused the change of heart for many of the people then as well, and that they totally missed the purpose of Jesus' life. They totally didn't understand what he was being hailed king of the Jews for. Last week was Palm Sunday, and, and he was being brought in on a donkey and, and hailed king of the Jews. And, and, but many there were the, having the expectation that Jesus was coming back to set up an earthly kingdom, that he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire at that time, and, and he was going to himself, set himself up as king, and he was going to free the Jews from the empire, the Roman, the Roman rule. And they just didn't see the long-term perspective or the, really the eternal purpose of Jesus' life and his ministry. They were looking for the moment. They were living for the moment. And they were looking at the immediate time of, of what is also common for us to do in our time now as well. And without a God-given purpose, that's what's destined for all of mankind. If God, Unless God whispers something in your heart and mind, that's basically all we have is the moment. We think of terms and, and what's in the immediate future rather than how can my purpose line up with God's eternal purpose, don't we? How, I find myself more than I want to admit 
looking at my future, my immediate next few days as more important maybe than really lining my life up with God's will for eternity. I'm not alone in that. I, you, I'm assuming you probably do too. I'm hoping you do. Otherwise, I'm going to feel pretty alone up here. But those people then, they wanted a kingdom on earth that met their immediate needs, and they had the very common what's-in-it-for-me attitude. And when Jesus didn't seem to deliver what they wanted, attitudes changed. When Jesus didn't give them what they wanted, they said, crucify him. And the question for us today is, do we see any of this same attitude in our lives? Do we see the same thing happening to us at all? We shouldn't be too quick to blame everyone there for crying out, crucify him, after they realized that the plan that he had really wasn't to free them after all in the way that they thought that he should. And how many times in our life have we said the same thing by our actions? Maybe we haven't said the words. Maybe we haven't said crucify him. But if we measure our choices sometimes, how many times have we done the same thing with our actions? And I know this is hard to talk about on Easter Sunday, but, but in all reality, in all honesty, how many times have we sold ourselves out? How many times have we sold Jesus out to the things of this world? And, and, and have we chosen the temporary things of this world over the eternal things of the kingdom of heaven? And you may ask, how have I done that? Well, I, I, I do that all the time. I do that if I don't have a regular prayer life. I do that if my Bible reading, my Bible study isn't consistent. I'm putting my other time needs in front of my priorities for God. I might do that and maybe I'm not consistent in inviting people to church or I'm not witnessing to people on the job. How many people have I prayed through to salvation this year or through the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And, and there's a lot of things. Our, our, we've talked before about when we're leading, we are leaders. Am I leading people to Christ or am I leading people away from Christ? There's, there's all these questions that we need to ask ourselves. And, and I, think, I think we can get the point here that there's a lot of things that we need to double check and, and measure in our own life. Easter, however, is a good news message. It is a message of the redeeming power of Jesus and his saving grace. There's no question about that. That's what it's all about, and that's why we're here this morning. But to see it in the way that God intended for us to see it, we must first be truthfully honest with ourselves. We must understand that we need to have Jesus. We must understand that we have to, we have, we're not in our own ability to do what's necessary, that we must see ourselves for what we are. Because the Bible says the truth will set you free. The truth will set us free. Not a perception of what we want to be or what we think we are, but the truth. And that's why we, I want to emphasize that this morning, that we must see ourselves honestly for what we are. And then when we see this absolute need that we have him, that we must have him, then he can come in glory. Then he can come in and set up his earthly or his, his kingdom in our hearts. That's rarely where he wants to set up our kingdom. His kingdom is in our hearts. There's that God-shaped vacuum that's in each one of us that is specifically designed for Jesus. And that's where he wants to set up his kingdom. There's no reason for us to mistake that anymore. We have enough information now to realize that, that we need to let him set up 
his kingdom in our hearts that will then transfer us into his heavenly kingdom when the time comes. But we must have him firmly established in our heart first. And as we do that, we put him in his rightful position, and that is the top priority of our life. That's where Jesus wants to be. That's where he must be. That's where he needs to be, is the top priority of our life. So what did Jesus really accomplish in those days, in those three days for all of mankind? Well, he totally, sacrificed, he totally surrendered himself and sacrificed himself for us. There was nothing left of himself as a result of the total sacrifice that he made on our behalf. He gave himself totally. There was nothing left of that shell of a man on that day. I want to read in Isaiah chapter 53. I want to read that whole chapter in the message translation. This was prophesied hundreds of years before the event happened. And it's important that we see the prophets that were identifying Christ in the way that he was and that he came and what he was going to do. Again, this was before it happened. This was a prophecy. Beginning in verse 1 in the message translation of Isaiah 53, it says, Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain, pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigures, disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment, and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. He was beaten. He was tortured. But he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered. And like a sheep being sheared. He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried. And he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare. Beaten bloody for the sins of, many, of my people. The sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked. Threw him in a grave with a rich man even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him out of that terrible travail of soul. He'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones, as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his own shoulders the sin of the many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Now, isn't that an interesting perspective of what Jesus did? 
I like the message translation sometimes because it takes scripture and it kind of describes it in a way that maybe we can understand it a little bit better. But that's a pretty awesome prophecy of what was to come. Jesus defeated Satan and he broke the curse of sin. Sin is a curse that all men are under. And it took the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice to defeat and conquer once and for all the sin that was upon all of us. We were dead in our natural man without a chance on our own until Jesus took it all upon himself. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15 tell us that. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, and that stood opposed to us. He took it all away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow, how did he do that? I have a little sh- a video I want to show you that showed a little bit today of how Jesus did this. And if you want to go back sometime and read the account of Mark 15, you can read that on your own sometime. And that tells you the whole account of what this happened. But I want to show just a short video right now that we'll talk a little bit more about what Jesus did for us on that day. that must have been an amazing experience to be part of that. And someday maybe we'll be able to to see a replay from heaven's perspective what happened in that tomb that day. But that must have been an amazing thing when Jesus broke that barrier of death and that body one one more time lived. You know, I want to take a look at this morning a little bit about um, who really killed Jesus. You know, we, we wonder sometimes, we look at it and, and we, we want to look at the Roman Empire and, and we look at the Roman people and the guards and, and we look at all the things that happened there. And we think it was the Roman soldiers, but, but I think there's some things we can learn a little bit this morning that I think will help us as we make our way through life. Understanding that we have some responsibilities to Jesus. We have to be careful that we don't do maybe what the religious leaders did of that day. Mark chapter 15 tells us, beginning at verse 25 through 32, it says, It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourselves. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him and, and among themselves. He said he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified him with him also heaped insults on him. Um, 
You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I know that I've done that in some times in my life. I, I haven't been always faithful to do the right things and how I haven't held up my thoughts. But we often blame the soldiers for being the bad guys and the guys that, that crucified Jesus. But, you know, they were only doing as they were told. They were doing, they were carrying out justice in their mind because that's what they did. The, the Roman soldiers at that time carried out the justice of the day. And they thought they were doing that. And normally they crucified men that were guilty of their crimes. They didn't know necessarily what they were doing here. Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So obviously Jesus understood that these men weren't the real perpetrators of the crime. They weren't. In fact, it really even wasn't the chief priests who were the perpetrators of the crime. Satan was the perpetrator of the crime. It really was about what Satan was trying to do. He used people like he uses people today. But really, Satan was the one that really was the perpetrator of the crime that day. But yet, Jesus realized that. And I think then as we look at our lives today, we need to understand that Satan is our same enemy today. And that we have lots of things that come against us. We have lots of things that would, would come to, would want to take us down a path of, of, of people issues and things. But, you know, I think if we recognize that, that we are not any different than the men then, our enemy is the same enemy that Jesus had that day. Looking at the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they should have known better, however. They were, they were under no authority but their own in that situation. No one told the chief priests and the, and the teachers of the law that they were supposed to do what they did. They were making a very conscious and well-thought-out decision. They, were, they didn't like Jesus. They were scared of him. And they put up with him just as long as they could until this. They couldn't explain the miracles he did. They couldn't understand what he was doing. They couldn't understand that. And they couldn't humble themselves before him. And, and sometimes that's what we need to understand too in our lives, that we don't always understand the things, but what we need to do is humble ourselves before the life of Christ. We don't have to have control. We don't need to have um, the authority like they wanted to have as well. They called out. They ridiculed him, and he said he's, he, tried to, he, can't, he can't save himself. He saved others, but he can't even save himself. And, and they said, let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. But in all reality, that wouldn't have changed anything for them. They saw miracle after miracle prior to that, and they still didn't believe. They didn't really want Jesus to come off the cross. They had him right where they wanted him. They had him right there where he was powerless. So they thought. The people that day were measuring the power and effectiveness of Jesus' life in terms of what he did for them today, the immediate satisfaction that we often get. And unless they saw the immediate, satis the immediate action from Jesus, they ridiculed him and his power and his authority. And that brings me back to my life today and my, and my reality. Am I really accepting the fact that Jesus took on my sins? Am I really understanding the fact that he died in my place? That he suffered for my transgressions so that I don't have to? Am I really living my life totally sold out to Jesus so that I'm not making my life a mockery of his totally sacrificial death? You know, it's a good challenge for us all, isn't it, that we should examine our hearts, examine our lives. The lesson I see for us today is, is because we are able to live our lives in so-called freedom, 
And we also recognize that judgment always doesn't come immediately. We can get by with some things. Just like the, just like the, 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 the Jewish leaders here were getting by with some things because it still kept them in control, still kept them under authority because Jesus was on the cross. He no longer was a threat to them. So they thought. And so we have to make sure we aren't doing the same things in our lives today and that we're not mocking and heaping insults on the life and death of Jesus in the same way by our lifestyle and choices. So it really is time for us to have some inner reflection and, and just pause with our lives on a regular basis and say, Lord, where am I at? What am I doing? Am I hurting you today? Help me, Father. Help me so that I don't do what is so common to man. What else did Jesus accomplish for us that day? He provided a way for all people to have access to his Father like he did. You know, you saw in that video how the temple shook and it earthquake and it started to part the stairs. And then what you really see is a temple curtain being torn from the top down. What's all that about? The Bible doesn't talk a lot about that. There's not a lot of stressing the fact that the curtain was torn there. But, you know, that is... That is really the key for our relationship today with Jesus, was what happened at that, ta- at that time. Luke 23 says it this way in, chapter, in verse 44. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. See, Jesus had been on the cross for about six hours before he finally died. He was, he was crucified at about 9 o'clock in the morning. About noon or so, the sun went dark. For three hours, it was dark. And then about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he finally died. So about six hours of agony on the cross. And I'm sure that had to be a painful time for God as well. Be in heaven and, and see his son suffer in such great agony. And finally, when Jesus gave up his last breath and he said, It's finished. God just had enough. I have to finish this thing. I have to finish it. So in God's emotion, in his emotion to make Jesus' sacrifice so complete that he made access for all of us to come into his presence anytime we want to. So from his position in heaven, God took that curtain, that veil that separated men from his holiness. He took it and he tore it in half. And the curtain now was torn so that all men have access to him at all times. It was before then it was, had to be a certain tribe of Levi. The, the Levites and the, and the priests would, could go into the holy presence of the Lord one time a year to make sacrifice for men. That was the only time we could really come into the presence of the Lord. And God said, you know what? My son finished it. My son finished it and I'm not going to let him waste it. So I'm going to give men access all times to me. Mark 15:38 says it this way. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why is the significance top to bottom? Because God tore it. God tore it from the top to the bottom. Man would have, tore, have to tear it from the bottom to the top. And that veil was six inches thick. It was very heavy fabric. And if you go back in the Old Testament and read what the requirements of that, tab- of that fabric was, it was very, very heavy, very thick fabric. There's no way a man could have torn that. But God tore it with his power top to bottom. And that gives us the, imp- that gives us the provision for all of us to have access to the throne room of heaven whenever we want to. 
And I think what's so significant here is that God doesn't waste anything. God is not a wasting God. He does not waste anything about Jesus or us. And he certainly wasn't going to waste the sacrifice that Jesus made now by putting one person's salvation at the hand of another. Every person has the same access to the Father through the blood of Jesus at any time. No man is special. No man has access where one other doesn't. We all have the clear access and the same access as any other man. And here's the important thing. God is waiting for us there. He's waiting for you there. He's waiting for us every day. Make no mistake about it. God is waiting in the throne room for you and I to walk in. And we have the ability to. The question that I have for myself and for all of us this morning is, do we enter that place regularly? How often do we enter the place of worship? Is this a major place for you this morning? Do you spend time there regularly? And because God wasn't a wasteful God, we shouldn't waste things either. We shouldn't waste the sacrifice any more than God did. We should be there on a regular basis. Another thing that Jesus provided for us that day is that he provided healing for us in all aspects of our lives. And I think the all aspects is very important. We often think of healing as being just physical. And it is. Healing is very physical. But there is the emotional part. There's the spiritual part. There's the whole man part. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, 24, it says, He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And we're instructed to pray for healing. We do that on a regular basis. Every Sunday morning we, we give opportunity for people to come up and be healed. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to live in health and strength while we are in this world. He doesn't want us to be sick. He, he wants us to be healthy. So when we're sick, we are instructed to pray and have the elders of the church come and, and pray and then to believe that God will heal us. And he has healed us many times, hasn't he? However, I think there's so much more to this than just the physical healing that God wants us to live in. If you read this verse again, it says that he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It seems like there's two different things happening here. That we might die to sins and live for righteousness. What does that have to do with healing? What does that have to do with our body needing healing? Well, this is why I think that God is using this whole thing as all-encompassing healing. It's just not my body. You see, when I have sin in my life, there is a guilt in my spirit. There is a, a pain within my heart that knows that I'm being separated from God the Father. I have this guilty conscience thing going on. And sometimes I can have it to the point where I'm almost physically sick. I'm almost physically ill because I know I've wronged people or God. I've sinned. And the healing that God brings that through the death of Jesus is a healing to our sinful man so that our sinful man can be healed of the evilness of sin. And until I realize how evil sin is and understand that I can't take care of it on my own, it has to be Jesus, that's healing. That is a healing for my spiritual man. And until I, if I want that bad, sick feeling to go away, I must, I must apply the Jesus' blood to that. And I must apply his sacrifice to that and his crucifixion to that. 
Jesus took the penalty of our sins, the sicknesses of our own bad choices upon himself that day, and gave us in return a healing for a sick and a diseased soul that had no hope for healing, no hope for ever feeling well again, a soul destined for hell and misery for all eternity. But Jesus took that from us, and he gave us a life of righteousness. What a good trade. Wouldn't you trade that if you could? Well, you can. You can. And he's traded it for us. It's just a matter of us taking it. See, we often see healing as only a physical miracle. But let me tell you this morning, the real significant healing is the healing of the soul. The healing of the spirit man is more important than the healing of my physical man. And I say it for a couple of reasons. Number one, the spiritual healing that Jesus gave us that, that day provides a plan for our eternal soul to spend eternity in heaven. And it also tells me that if he can do that, if God can raise me from the dead, if I can be raised from the dead like Jesus was raised from the dead, then I must know that his healing for my temporary man is just as readily there. If he can heal a dead man, he can heal a live man. So therefore, it gives me more confidence to know that he can heal my scratch, he can heal my cold, he can heal my cancer, he can heal my, my whatever my disease is. If he, can heal my, if he can bring me back to life from a dead man, then he can certainly heal me as a live man. And that gives me joy, it gives me peace, it gives me confidence to know that he can do much more than just heal me to live for a few years. He can heal me to live forever. That is spiritual healing. That is healing to the uttermost, like we sang today in the song. Being healed to the uttermost is being healed to eternal life. And that's exactly what Jesus did that day in the cross for us. So this is an amazing thing, and it's an amazing promise that I have. He also provided for us a way to have eternal life, an everlasting life. He gave us something that we could never gain on our own. John chapter 6 Verses 47 through 51 says, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Wow. It's interesting here. Jesus says so many interesting things when we just look at his language and how he talks. But he tells us here that there's two different forms of action in this passage that gives eternal life. First, he says that we must believe. And then he says that we must eat. So one form of action is of the mind, and the other form is ingested in our body. So the action of salvation really is a multifaceted miracle because it requires an action of belief on our part along with an action of an indwelling that must work together. I must believe, but then I must eat. I must believe that Jesus is there, that he is the bread of life, but then I must eat of his body and I must ingest it and I must digest it and it must become part of me. Our belief in Jesus is being our only way for salvation must be accompanied by a form of action on our part. It doesn't require a work of the flesh, but it requires a digestion of the flesh or a sacrifice on our part. We must sacrifice our own will and our purpose 
in order to accept Jesus as the rightful owner of the person that we are. That, that it's, the, it's believing in Christ, but then we must put our action to it and we must actually partake in it. And we must uh, make it a priority that must be in our life. And the tragedy of our human nature is that so many times we want to have all the good of what God is without the recognition of the need of the sacrifice required on our part. Salvation is free. So when we see the total sacrifice that Jesus gave for us, the question I ask myself, and the obvious question is, why would I want to lessen anything in my life in living for Him? When I see that He gave it all for me, then why do I want to not give my all to Him? And when I see the seriousness of what Jesus did for me, I must be serious in my life. I can't take it lightly. I can't take lightly the sacrifice that Jesus did. He didn't take it lightly. He gave it all. He didn't leave one bit of himself here for us, he didn't, or for, for himself. He didn't, give, he didn't leave one bit left. It was all-consumed. He's an all-consuming fire. He's an all-consuming God. And therefore, my life should be holy and defined by standards to live a holy life. That's, what I, that's, my, that's my responsibility. But why is that? Why do we fight that? Why is it in our human nature to fight that? Well, let me suggest this. That the same enemy that Jesus had that day, that he died for, is the same enemy of our soul. Satan is telling us the same lies, the same deceit. He has the same evil intention of total destruction in our life as he had for the total destruction in the life of Jesus. Satan was there to destroy Jesus. He thought by, by destroying Jesus that his work would be done. He thought that he would then have full reign of this earth without having him around to hinder him any longer. He was very mistaken, however. Thank goodness that he was. And, but understand, Satan has that same intent for me and has that same intent for you. And when we can begin to understand the absolute total evil of Satan and who he is as an adversary, then and only then can we begin to understand why we must learn to live the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus says, take up my cross and follow me. We must take up our cross. We must take up our cross and follow Jesus every day. We must do our part to live the sacrifice because as we suffer like Jesus suffered, we will rejoice and we will have the glory that Jesus had later as well. So this makes our life full of fulfilled love and appreciation for what we have been delivered from and to what we are promised for. And when I can understand that Jesus paid a price I couldn't pay, that he paid for my sin, my death, he paid for my punishment, that I was justifiably should have been on the cross. It should have been me up there. It should have been you up there. But Jesus did it for me. And he gave us all eternal life, happiness, joy, peace, all of that. When I realize that, then and only then can I truly live a holy, righteous life for him. But I have to understand that. And maybe the reason that, that we as mankind struggle so much living a sold-out life for Jesus is that we don't fully understand the Easter message. Maybe we don't fully understand what it was all about. What Jesus did in those three days provides for us a reason and a, and a way for us to dedicate our life of holiness and righteousness back to him. When I can understand that and grasp that. And the, the Easter message, is the, the key to all this is that this needs to be with us. This is an everyday message. This is not just what happens 
on a spring day once a year. But the Easter message needs to reside in our hearts all the time. It's an everyday occurrence. I need to be recognizing the life of Christ in my life every day. Every day I must realize the fact that he died for me and that he rose for me and that he forgave my sins. And then tomorrow I need to realize that he died for me, he rose for me, and he forgave my sins. And the next day, and as I continue to realize that, then my life just continues to build and grow in love and appreciation for what he is. And I continue to do, want to do more and more things to please him. And more importantly, I want to do more and things to bring others to Christ with me. And that gives me the reason that Jesus said at the end. He said, I want you to go out and fulfill the great commission, which is what? Go and make disciples of the world. Not just come in and sit in a nice church, but go out and make disciples in the world and be productive. And when I can recognize that Easter is an everyday event, it gives me that ability to be productive. And then finally, as I conclude, the final thing among many things that Jesus provided for us on the Easter day was that he became our brother and we are given adoption papers to share his heavenly father with him. He became our brother. The same Abba Father, if you go out and, and read the passage about the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cries out, Abba Father. He cries out to him saying, if you can take this cup from me, anything you can do, if you can take this cup, take it. But he said, not my will, but thine will be done. And then we see later in Romans chapter 8, we see the same Abba Father cry out. Jackie, if you could come, please. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, it says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. See, Abba there is like the most intimate way to call somebody dad. It's just not saying, hey, old man. It is Abba, Daddy, Father. It's that relationship that Jesus had with his heavenly father. And what he did on that cross that day is that he became our brother so that now we are adopted into the family of God, that we can have that same Abba, Father, relationship with God. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, as brothers, we feel each other's pain. Jesus certainly felt our pain, and he bore our pain on the cross. And now as we feel his pain, the pain that we feel is a sacrifice of our life. A sacrifice of what? A sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it's hard to praise the Lord, isn't it? But as we sacrifice praise to him, we're calling him Abba, Father. It's a sacrifice of our own pride. It's a sacrifice of doing what we want to do when we want to do it. It's a sacrifice of holy living. It's a sacrifice of non-compromise. It's a sacrifice of saying, Lord, I give myself to you without abandon. I totally surrender myself to you like you surrendered yourself for me on the cross. I am picking up my cross today and I'm surrendering myself to you fully, wholly, 100%. And when we have that, then we will be a joint heir with Christ and we will be a child of the Lord. So as we close this morning, let me ask you, what have you done with Jesus' death this morning? Close your eyes with me if you would.
And just take some time for inner reflection and take some time to, that you would reflect on your own life. What have I done with Jesus? What have I done? Do I recognize that the sin that Jesus bore that day was mine? Do I understand that as he hung on that cross that day that he was bearing my sin? That disfigurement of his body was my disfigurement? See, he bore the sins of the world, but yet he bore my sins personally. The enemy here this morning is trying to tell you that your sins aren't that bad. That you've justified your way into heaven. Or that you can do that. But let me tell you very clearly and very honestly and very openly and very lovingly. The only way you're going to get to heaven this morning is if Jesus Christ lives in your heart. I don't care who we are. I don't care who we, how much money we have. I don't care how good of a man I am. The only way that I'm going to get to heaven this morning is through Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ that's going to bathe me and forgive me of all my sin. So this morning as we close, is Jesus in your heart this morning? Do you recognize that sacrifice? I want to give you just an opportunity this morning if if you really want to make sure as all eyes are closed, and all heads are bowed, would you just lift up your hand if you want to make sure that Jesus is in your heart this morning? The most important question any man could ever ask you, the most important thing any person could ever ask you, is Jesus in your heart? Is he top priority in your heart this morning? Do you love him this morning? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Jesus, we thank you. We really thank you for the life that you led. We thank you for the perfect sacrifice that you were. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice and for all the things that you did for us and what you accomplished that day for us, the many things that we've talked about. And Lord, now we just want to take some time and thank you. We just want to spend some time, we just want to take some time and just... Um, praise your name and thank you, Lord. We're lo- so looking forward to that day where we're going to see you again. And we're going to see you and we're going to see the nail-scarred hands. And we're going to see the feet with the scars. And we're going to see the, the place in the side where they shoved the, the spear. And the crown of thorns, Lord, were, that were placed in your head. And we're going to see you f- smiling at us because you're going to say, you know what, it was all worth it. I would do it again in a heartbeat for you because I love you so much. It was all worth it. And we're looking forward to that day. And we thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you would. Jackie, let's sing that song you're playing. And let's just, uh, let's just go out on Easter this morning with, with a, a sense of worship and praise in our heart and our spirit for what the Lord has done. And let's just um, worship him just one more for just a few more minutes this morning. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father.
Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day one more time. Lord, now go with us as we go to our homes today that we would celebrate this season and we would celebrate tomorrow and the day after, Father, in the same sense of appreciation and anticipation for what you're doing for us. Lord, we love you this morning and we just ask you, Father, to be the king of our hearts. Set up that kingdom, Father. Set up that kingdom in our hearts personally so that we can worship you, Father, in truth and in spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.